From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and we had some good news over the weekend. That's almost enough to warm your budget tracker's heart on a cold January morning. Uh, The top appropriators have finally, finally agreed to compromise spending allocations for the 12 annual appropriations bills that are long overdue. We want to talk about what that means now for the appropriations process as Congress races toward an early March deadline. Meanwhile, the House this week might consider this bipartisan tax package that would expand the child tax credit and revive a trio of business tax breaks. But the measure is facing some growing resistance from both moderate and conservative Republicans for different reasons, and it's not clear what will happen to that package on the House floor yet. And, of course, the Senate is hoping to take up its emergency war funding and border security package this week, maybe, after negotiators announced they finally reached a deal on border policy that has held up the bill for months. But can anyone really predict what happens to this bill from here? I'm going to ask my guests to talk about all of that and more. Joining me is Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me, uh, as always, David. And Caitlin Riley, who's been covering the tax bill and so many other things, too numerous to mention here. Welcome back, Caitlin. Thanks, David. So let's start with appropriations, Aiden, because we saw a real breakthrough in just the last few days as we tape on Monday morning. So bring us up to date. What happened and 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 where do we go now? Yeah, so really big, a big positive development for the fiscal 2024 appropriations process. Over the weekend, uh, sometime late Friday night, Senate and House appropriators reached a deal on the subcommittee allocations, also known as the 302Bs. Very, you know, a key point in the process, we are five weeks out from the next deadline, which is about the amount of time that you need to, you know, wrap up full year appropriations, do all the negotiations, and it's really uh, a good step forward, and they have enough time to get this done by the beginning of March if if things continue to move smoothly. So it's really uh, a good news if you're rooting for uh, there to be final fiscal appropriation bills, fiscal 2024 appropriation bills done by the March deadlines. So that is a breakthrough. We should say we still don't know what these allocations actually are, right? They're, I mean, they're keeping them under wraps for now, which is typical until the actual bills come out. So we can't say much about how the allocations differ from this past year or between the House and Senate. We don't, we're not really yet privy to the actual allocation numbers, but just the fact that they have this agreement now between House and Senate is a big deal because they've been hung up for so long over it. But th- th- that doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing, right? Yeah, so there is a lot more work to do um, for sure. And the first step is some committees are now negotiating out how their subcommittee allocation is going to be spent across the different agencies and programs in each of the bills. And any issues that can't be solved at that level get moved up to full committee. And any issues that full committee can't solve get moved up to leadership. You know, so bringing back in uh, Speaker Johnson and uh, Majority Leader Schumer into those discussions. So there's a lot of work to be done. I think the biggest issue remaining uh, from my perspective at this point is that there is no agreement yet on policy riders and 
that's going to be a big issue. In the past, you know, Republicans last year's wouldn't even come to the table until they had an agreement with Democrats that there would be no new policy riders. So, you know, this time around, Republicans are fighting for new riders. Democrats are saying we're not going to go for anything. So there's definitely a big gap between those two. But presumably, they will come to some kind of understanding before the next deadline. I don't think either side, either, neither side, I think, wants this to break down. I think both sides want to wrap up this process by March and move on into fiscal 25. And just to remind us, what are the deadlines now we're facing? There's two, right? Yeah, so we have a two-tier deadline. The first one is March 1 for four bills, and then the second one is March 8th for, for the remaining eight bills. Again, plenty of time if, if things continue to move smoothly for them to um, be done on time by March. It's, it's very exciting for those of us who've been following this process. And, you know, we've seen three short-term spending bills. Um, so hopefully there won't be a fourth. And so we know we know the overall budget pie size, right? Because we had this top line agreement of one point six trillion dollars, right? And we know we even know the division there between defense and non-defense programs because we've got that much announced. It's just a question now of how these how they break that down among these twelve separate bills that of course are never going to pass as 12 separate bills. They're going to have to package these together to make the deadline. We know that they've ruled out, Republicans in the House have ruled out an omnibus package where they lump all of them together. But safe to say, I think, Aiden, that we're going to look at maybe two two groups of bills, what they call minibuses. Yeah, I think that's the most likely end result here. Maybe they'll break up the eight bills into two, you know, two, four, enough. Uh, do three, four bill packages total or something, but that's not going to change the end result. I think, I think it's pretty clear that we're moving towards, you know, as long as they can work out policy riders and there's no major snags in how money is being spent in each bill. You know, I think, I think we're moving towards a, a handful of big appropriations packages passed under suspension in the house with wide, you know, bipartisan majorities, you know, definitely a majority of Democrats will support, Need, I mean, they're going to need nearly all Democrats to get on board with these bills if they're going to pass on the suspension. So it'll be interesting to see it finally play out. But I think we're, you know, getting these subcommittee allocations, uh, again, a huge step over the weekend. And, you know, to plug CQ's reporting, we we, we got it first on, on Saturday morning, and I'm, I'm very uh, happy about that. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast and somehow not subscribed to CQ, uh, if you want to put patients news first, you should... Uh, you should subscribe. Yes, I was surprised to wake up on Saturday morning, in fact, and found Aiden's story already filed and posted at CQ.com. To report on these appropriations allocations, very exciting. So uh, we will be tracking that now because they're still under this big time crunch uh, with not much time now to do 12 bills. We will see how that plays out. Meanwhile, this week, the House might be taking up this bipartisan tax package, Caitlin, that seems to be running into some headwinds. Yeah, the uh, House leadership has not yet said how or when the bill will come to the floor, just that it may come to the floor this week. That sort of leaves open the question whether it will pass through the regular or be considered through the regular process or under suspension, which would allow them to bypass um, passing a rule, which has been tricky, this Congress with such slim margins, um, but would require substantial report from Democrats. Um, 
what we're hearing over the weekend is some criticism from um, Republicans from blue states who want the bill to include some relief for the $10,000 cap on state and local tax deductions. Um, So that's what we're hearing kind of from more moderate Republicans. And on the other side of the spectrum from um, kind of more conservative members, you're hearing criticisms that the bill doesn't explicitly, um, doesn't include language that would explicitly bar undocumented immigrants from securing the child tax credit. Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith, who is one of the negotiators behind the bill, hit back against that on Friday saying that you would still need a social security number to access the credit. um, And it's the same set of rules that that are um, currently in place under the status quo. But with those two groups making noise about the bill, it seems that the pathway forward, should House leadership decide they want to do that, would rely on substantial Democratic support. Yeah, it does seem like there is pushback among Republicans for this expanded child tax credit, right? They've never really been thrilled with it, is my sense. There's a concern among some conservatives that it provides a disincentive to work. They're questioning the work requirements that would be attached to this child credit. Uh, now you're you're bringing up this immigration problem. They just don't love it. And the the trade-off for them with these with these business tax breaks, which are I think it's mostly the upfront deducting of R and D costs. Is that right? Yeah, it would allow um, full upfront deductions of research and development investments, along with, um, I think, more favorable treatment of how you're able to deduct um, interest payments and also full deductions for the purchasing of what the IRS calls short term, um, kind of our short lived equipment. So um, machinery and stuff like that. Those are the three business tax credits that are kind of a big win for the business interests. In yeah. So I, I think, you know, Republicans like those, Democrats like those too, as far as I know. And so I think some Republicans are saying, is this really a good deal? Because the, these business credits are nice, but they have bipartisan support anyway. And they're they're not thrilled with the child tax credit stuff. And I, I'm wondering how much that's going to upset the apple card here in terms of getting it through on House passage. Um particularly if they try to ram it through on under suspension where you need a two-thirds majority. Yeah, I think the important thing to keep in mind for the House is that this did make it through the Ways and Means Committee with unanimous Republican support and really um, substantial report from support for Democrats. So that there is there does seem to be a coalition of Republicans who think it's a fair trade to revive these business tax credits with an expansion of the child tax credit that's much smaller than what Democrats were pushing for, which was the full revival of the 2021 American Rescue Plan um, child tax credit that would have been fully refundable to people immediately, whether or not they had any um, taxable income. So there, there does seem to be a core group of House Republicans that see this as a fair deal. But yeah, you are starting to see um, some fraying on the edges. Yeah. Although we should say, though, in terms of the the fiscal hawks, they did sort of satisfy that, right? Because this bill is fully paid for. It doesn't increase the deficit. Yeah, exactly. They would stop processing um, employee retention tax credits early. Um, And that was a pandemic era tax credit that's been 
just rife with fraud. Okay, so there's no deficit problem here, but there is this immigration issue and the uh, work requirements on the child tax credit, and and as you say, this big issue that that hangs over every tax bill these days, which is SALT, right? The state and local tax deduction. I mean, they're, they've been adamant they want to repeal that $10,000 cap. If you come from these high-tax states, New York, New Jersey, California, they are, you are eager to repeal that $10,000 cap on the deductions you can take for state and local taxes. And boy, they're determined any time a piece of legislation comes along to get that attached. And right now, that's not attached, right? It's not attached. And it's a provision that is probably most important to Republicans that are in pretty vulnerable districts. These are Republicans who are coming from you know, high cost of living, high tax, usually blue states. And in particularly in the case of New York Republicans, these are the same districts that really handed Republicans the majority during this Congress. And so I think it's seen as something that would help them in their races back home come November. Yeah. And, and then, of course, on the other side, you, there's a, a good number of, of people on the other side who, who don't want the SALT deduction at all. I, I was listening to a forum the other day where former Speaker Paul Ryan, a Republican from Wisconsin, said we should get rid of SALT entirely. And Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, who had mostly identified as a Democrat, said he doesn't. he's from New York, but he doesn't like the idea of Arkansas having to pay for New York's uh, New York's taxes, and and so that there is a pushback on on that on the on that side too that makes this a real tussle over over this salt deduction. What what's your guess, Caitlin? I mean, do, do they find a middle ground on that? I don't know. My guess would be that if Speaker Johnson decides he wants to move forward with the bill, my guess is that they would move it to the floor under suspension of the rules, but. And that would mean no amendments, right? So no salt, no salt change. Yeah, I find that or dropping it to be a more likely outcome than seeing the package change to accommodate salt. But that's just um, that's just my guess. Okay, we'll hold you to it anyway. <laughs> so we have to see what happens with this tax package this week. And now, of course, the other big thing this week is is in the Senate where they are scrambling to write the final pages of text, we're told, on this war funding and border security package. Just over the last weekend, Senate negotiators confirmed they had a bipartisan deal on the border policy stuff that's been hanging up this bill for so long, but seems like real disagreements over what the agreement actually is. Uh, the top Republican negotiator, Senator Lankford from Oklahoma, was on the did the Sunday talk shows, and said people are just responding to internet rumors and and they're mostly false. The Speaker Mike Johnson has already pushed back and said, if it's anything like what we're hearing, uh, he's not going to allow that package in the House. It sounds like a real mess is shaping up here. If they can even get it off the Senate floor. So I'll throw it up to both of you. Where do you think things stand now? And, and um, how much legs does this have? Is it even going to get through the Senate? What do we think? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole this whole process, I've been extremely skeptical um, of this. If you just look at recent history with any of these big attempts to, you know, address immigration, it just never 
has really worked out at a, on a large scale. I think as soon as Republicans were trying to tie that with Ukraine and Israel, all of those, you know, aid for war funding for those for those countries, all, this is, all of those, you know, we're calling the question about how likely they are to, to actually pass at this point. It's kind of hard to see a path forward for Ukraine, which is pretty that's pretty stunning departure from where we were about a year ago when there was wide bipartisan support in both chambers for more funding for Ukraine. So, I, you know, I think it's going to be difficult to pass the Senate, but even if you can pass the Senate, it doesn't look like to me that it's going to go anywhere in the House. So we're pretty far away from, in my opinion, of, of any movement on any of the three topics. And, yeah, that's not a good sign for lawmakers who, who are trying to push, you know, these priorities. Caitlin, what do you think? I'm inclined to agree with Aiden. It it just seems that immigration policy has been so difficult to really see movement on in the past several years. It, it does seem like those issues may prove thorny enough to sink the whole thing. Yeah, well, I guess I'd say that I'm a little more hopeful on where things stand in the Senate right? Because you've got leaders of both parties in the Senate really want to get this deal done. Uh, both Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell are eager to get this Ukraine funding. I mean, we, let's not forget that Ukraine is kind of running out of bullets here. And <laughs> this there's no more money to, to dole out to Ukraine uh, now, according to the Pentagon. There's about 60 to $65 billion on the line here for for security funding for Ukraine that that is desperately needed. The leaders of both parties want it. And now there is a bipartisan border deal, even if the fine print has to be ironed out a bit. I guess I would bet that it can get through the Senate, but I, I am a little, I think I share your skepticism when it comes to the House because Johnson has been pretty adamant even over this weekend, again, issuing statements saying this isn't good enough. You can tell, you know, you've got Donald Trump ranting and raving here, uh, urging them not to support this border bill that he has not seen, um, but he knows it's bad, he says. And Johnson is clearly feeling pressure from his party's right wing, Trump included, but I think from his own membership, a real reluctance to get on board with this. He's got to have some conservative wins on the border that he can take back to his conference. And I guess right now he's not seeing them. And I guess it's it's easy to see why, because first of all, we don't have bill text to look at. So they're not really articulating the specific policies that are at stake here. Although, you know, senators on both sides are saying these are significant border changes, radically speeding up the asylum process so people aren't just released into the country and and letting them roam for 10 years or more before they can see a, a court case done. And this is like condensing into six months. I mean, kind of a big deal. And this this the thing that's caused the most debate is this emergency authority that the DHS would have now to shut down the border, they say, if, if immigrant crossings reach a certain level. And it, that level seems to be in dispute People seem to think it's if, if there's more than 5,000 migrants crossing a day, it triggers the shutdown. Senator Langford, the chief Republican negotiator, pushed back on that over the weekend, saying saying that's not true. 
we're not letting in 5,000 people a day, but he doesn't explain what it actually calls for. So a lot of the details on this border stuff, you know, it's complicated anyway. Immigration is tough to pass anyway. And when they're not explaining what the proposal actually is, it does leave it rife for all these rumors um, that, that make it harder. I assume once the bill text comes out, that gets clarified. And I don't know. I guess I still I'm still thinking we could see a, a 60 vote margin there to get it through the Senate. I mean, Democrats are certainly eager for it, although we should say, too, that the aid to Gaza stuff, you know, the aid to Israel even is now a little in dispute from progressives because there's a real pushback on on the Israeli military campaign in Gaza. You've got you've got Bernie Sanders out there screaming that we shouldn't give Israel more aid until they abide by certain humanitarian principles. A lot of ways this could go wrong, right? Yeah, it's it's obviously uh, tightrope to put it lightly and very difficult for me to see this get passed. Um, no signed into law by by President Biden. So we'll we'll continue to follow it. But I think the um, I think appropriators are happy that this is on a, definitely on a different track than the fiscal twenty twenty four appropriations process because if you know a annual approach was tied into this, it would it would be very questionable if, if they could pass it as you know yeah, yeah. anyway it's going to be interesting to watch but you're both sounding pretty gloomy here today uh any 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 last minute optimism for a, for a supplemental deal i i am uh well on a supplemental deal yes i'm gloomy but i am uh very uh not gloomy about fiscal 2024 appropriations which is kind of more up my alley here Coverage-wise, I think, again, huge step forward over the weekend. A lot of work to do, but at this point, it seems like both sides have an agreement that they want this to get done by March, and you know they're moving forward. All right. Well, on that happy note, at least, uh, that'll do it for us today. If you like what you heard here, you can subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. My thanks again to Caitlin Riley and Aiden Quigley for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. You can find all of our coverage on the tax package, on the supplemental bill, on appropriations and more at CQ.com or RollCall.com. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.